prepare them for any of this. So <laughs> I'm getting these looks, you know, when they. <laughs> so let's just pray over the message. Father, we thank you for the word of God that is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you, Father, that the entrance of your word brings light. And we recognize, Father, that as we walk in your word, we are counseled in the way that pleases you. But, our Father, we want to thank you for more than just the word. We thank you for the spirit. For, Lord, it's through the spirit that our lives are governed and directed and the anointing and the power of God leads us on to the things that bring out the glory of God and the power of God and the purpose of God in every situation. Father, we thank you we're never in the dark, that you promised you would never leave us, never forsake us. Mm -hmm. And today, Father, as we enter into this time of contemplation upon your word, I pray that it'll be more than the letter of the law. I pray it'll be the letter... The, the life of the Spirit, mm -hmm. flowing out through the Word of God, breaking off shackles, breaking off darkness in the lives of people. I pray that you would bless Gordy as he ministers that Word. Mm -hmm. Pray, Father, that he will feel a sense of God's breaking power that releases the captive and sets them free. And I pray his words will come with a total unction of the Holy Spirit that we may walk away and say, that was the word of the Lord. We thank you for that today, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Dad. Because of those, because of his prayer life, I love God today. So, very grateful. Um, so, we, if you're just joining us, uh, We've been following a, a theme called Expand the Table. And uh, today I'm going to, uh, we've been kind of following the lectionary uh, readings because we think it's, it, it's been informing, a, a good in, informing of, of, of God's invitation to us as a church this year to expand the table. And so today is about change. Change is here to, say, to stay, somebody once said. And most of us live with a sense of dissatisfaction over the state of our lives in some way, shape, or form, or our world, or our family, where we want to see change. But how does change happen? Most of us are disillusioned with the hope of politics making a difference, being an agent. We have countless of online petitions. People want to see change that way. We, ha we even have a a platform called change.org that you've all probably got emails from about some cause that people want to see change on. But we all want to see change in some way, shape, or form if, it is, if, if it's not the, uh, if the ending of oppression, poverty, human trafficking, the horrific fentanyl crisis. My, my colleague just one block over told Kathleen that he was doing almost a funeral every day from the, from the overdose opioid crisis. Well, there was 300 and some odd deaths. Yeah. 
So it's an epidemic, and, and people, of course, these kinds of things get our attention and, and where we go, hey, the status quo isn't going to work here. Something's got to change. So today I want to wrestle with the nature of change and transformation. The message of the gospel is pretty clear that change is only possible if it happens from the inside out. That the, the, the prophecy that Ezekiel gave us was, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. After God had tried everything else, structural change, some good rules, a good system, God says, okay, I'm going to sprinkle you with clean water, and I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit. So that's, that's the gospel. That's the good news. And we've been going through this teaching experience uh, series called Expanding the Table in response to what we have felt as God's invitation to us to make room for more people, for the other for the refugee, for the immigrant, for those that are different, the marginalized, the, the stranger, which is the message of the gospel. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said, and he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the ones who normally didn't get good news, the poor, the marginalized, the ones that thought that they were excluded, the, the uneducated, or the filthy rich who got there badly, like Zacchaeus. He came for them too. And so we've asked everybody to have this image in front of you. This reminds me of Grandma and Grandpa's house in Edmonton, where this little house, the number of people, I was saying to Mom and Dad, I, I was thanking God that my cousin didn't, only came back from Africa every six years. I don't know how we'd have got everybody in there, but... We'd think we had room for everybody, and then somebody would say, Bill's family's coming. Oh, no, bring another leaf in, right? And so this, we've asked everybody to envision this leaf. What does that look like for you, for your family, for your, your household this year, for your small group or your Sunday school class or your uh, worship team? Um, how do we make room um, it's very hard in a society when our margins are so thin with time and money and energy to, to figure out how in the world can I make more room? How are we going to do that? We're going to need grace. And I believe God wants to give that to us. And so we've been saying that change and expanding the table is about folk being focused on more, being more and making more and better disciples in an authentic missional community, which of course means being better disciples at the same time, for the, for the good of the world, for the sake of the world. And we're kind of focusing on the sake of the world today a little bit. But related to change, Jesus' vision of change was disciples. That was his world. He used the illustration of leaven, like yeast, and uh, mustard seed to change the world, that God would plant seed in our hearts. And, that, and disciples, as we make more and better disciples, uh, the world is changed uh, as they engage in that world in, in obedience to his commands, in, in walking in relationship to him. Yeah, good point. Um, so, did Jesus experience transformation? 
It's hard, it's hard to think about Jesus also needing transformation. But he did. He was in his humanity as God coming and living amongst us as a human being. Jesus experienced transformation. Luke describes it as he grew in wisdom and in stature and increased in favor with God and with people. So socially and emotionally and physically and spiritually, he was transformed. And scripture brings out today in the story of the transfiguration a remarkable illustration of Jesus' transformation. So let's look at our text together. After six days, this is from Matthew chapter 17, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. As I said, Mark describes it as bright as the lightning. Verse 3. Just then there appeared before them Moses, Elijah, talking with Jesus. That was quite a small group that day, wasn't it? Yeah. So the first thing I want to point out here is that it says after six days, and it's important to see that this, I think in, for, in order for us to understand the, the full significance of the transfiguration, we need to know that it's, it's sandwiched between two critical events in the Gospels. And it says after six days, after six days of, does anybody remember what was the six days of, after six days of what? Does anybody remember what happened? There's a, there's a, a place that Jesus was at called Caesarea Philippi. I've been there. It's like Lynn Valley. No, it really is. It's, it's this beautiful, there's cascading waterfalls and forest. Does anybody know why there's rushing water there? Huh? There's a mountain there, that's why. You have to have some incline in order to have rushing water, right? Come on, you guys. You're West Coasters. What's the matter with you? I'm an Albertan. I'm, I'm out, out thinking you here. Come on. Yeah, so, yeah, that's right. We need pumps and things. Anyway, no, that's not true. Actually, Bragg Creek in Calgary used to remind me of this. So when I was at Caesarea Philippi, I realized there's this great big high mountain right there. Does anybody know what mountain it is? It's the highest mountain in Israel. It's right there. Mount Hermon. See, I taught my daughter Sunday school. What? <laughs> Mount Hermon's right there. Somebody says, who's Hermon? I don't know who Hermon is. Doesn't matter. <laughs> All right. So, so there's this massive mountain here. And traditionally, they say Jesus went up Mount Tabor, but Mount Tabor's too tame. I mean, Jesus isn't saying, come on, boys, let's go for a stroll here. He was saying, let's go rock climbing. Seriously, it was intense. It was arduous. And he said, the rest of you guys, you haven't been working out enough. You, Peter, James, John, Peter, even though you keep blowing it, you're coming. Right? So he takes these three guys up a mountain, and uh, they have this retreat. And, and we need to understand that up to Caesarea Philippi, the disciples are pretty excited about things. 
but they're frustrated. Jesus is just like a one-man wrecking crew uh, to the kingdom of darkness. He's healing the sick, casting out demons, feeding thousands. It's just so awesome. But they're kind of going, when's he going to come out with it? That he's the Messiah, that he's the one. Because he kind of kept that subversive and hidden, didn't he? He kind of, he, he wouldn't, wouldn't come out with it. So the reason why Caesarea Philippi was so exciting is for the first time Jesus says to the disciples, who do people say that I am? They all raise their hands. Some said John the Baptist. Some say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Then he looks at them and he says, but who do you say I am? And who answered? Peter. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And he's kind of waiting for Jesus to maybe give it to him for that. And Jesus turns on him and says, blessed are you, Simon, son of John. For flesh and blood, human beings did not reveal this to you. But my father, who's in heaven, and you are Peter. And everybody calls you or reads Simon, but I say you're a rock. And on, your, on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell and the disciples are starting to get euphoric. He is the Messiah. This is the time. And then Jesus says, oh, yeah, in just a, a, a little while now, we're going to end up in Jerusalem and the, 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 your Messiah is going to be, he's going to be spit upon, arrested, mocked, and he's going to die on a cross. And on the third day, he'll rise again. And Peter pulls him aside because he's, he's on a roll now. He's anointed one. And he starts to rebuke Jesus. And Jesus turns to him and says, get behind me, Satan. Have you ever had a bad day? You know, it, it started out well enough, but things went south, right? <laughs> so, so Peter's kind of... Oh, and then Jesus goes on to say, not only am I going to suffer and die and rise again. He did say that. They, didn't, they forgot that he said that, but he did actually, if you look at it, he actually said that. He would rise from the dead after three days. And later on, they said, well, when did you tell us that? How many times did I tell you? <laughs> right? And so then he says, oh, and by the way, if you're going to be my disciple then you've got to be willing to deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Whoever seeks to save their life will lose it. For the Son of Man is coming with the Father and his holy angels, and every person will be judged according to their works. Right? So there's a personal accountability there. Um, I, say, I, I read a beautiful statement, I think it was by a, an Eastern Orthodox, that Christianity calls us to individuality, not individualism. And the difference is individuality is where the real you comes out with all the gifts and the callings that God has given you, but it's in community. Whereas individualism is, is, is isolation and disconnection from community. So, so six days later, so it's kind of a downer. They're going, yeah, he's the Messiah. Then there's this downer. So six days later, Jesus takes these guys rock climbing. And then they experience this incredible experience on the mountain. But then there's this other story that happens after the uh, transfiguration. Do you remember after the transfiguration, they go down and there's this fentanyl crazed, okay, but he was like it. I mean, this kid was self-harming. He was, he was uh, seizure prone. 
And the disciples couldn't heal him. And remember, Jesus comes and pulls him aside. And the magnificent Christ shows his disciples what that incredible encounter on the mountain was all about. It wasn't about some kind of, you know, zoning out encounter with God in the ethereal spiritual world. It was all about engaging the world in its suffering and its pain. And it all came together for them. So the second thing is it was a high mountain. It was, and there's the backdrop of Exodus. You remember when Moses went up in the mountain and he saw God's glory, his face shone. But remember, he brought somebody with him. Do you remember? Who did Moses bring up on that mountain with him? Joshua. So he brought his apprentice. He brought an intern. He brought somebody that he, a successor, as it were. It's interesting that Jesus' successor was never one person. He never had, he never said, okay, Peter, you're going to take over. He never said, but he brought a community of guys up. And I believe that the successors of Christ are his church. He said, those who believe in me, my works will they do. And greater works, because you're going to do it together. Unto him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think, according to the power that works in use. All right? Community, again. So we as the church are his successors. So there's a, there's a remarkable um, parallel to the, the Exodus story here. So the word transfigured, it says that he was transfigured. And the Greek word is the metamorphote, comes from the word metamorpho. Uh, the word meta means who you are with. Now, the, you see those letters there, A-I-P? Does anybody know what that means? Come on, Drew, you know what it means. <laughs> now, this is a Greek parsing again. So it's aorist, indicative, passive, right? So the first letter is about the tense. The second letter is about the mood of the word. And the third has to do with voice. And there's three kinds of voice. Do you, anybody know? There's passive, active, and middle. So passive is where... Something is being done to you. Active is where you are doing something. And middle is where there's a little bit of both. But it's interesting here that the, the, the voice for Jesus was transfigured was passive. In the book of Luke, it says, he was praying. And as he prayed, he was transfigured. So the word meta has to do with transformation of related to who you're with, and the word morphu has to do with transformation that is consistent with who you already are. You're not changing into something else, but the real you is emerging, and that's the word that's used here, is that who Jesus really was, the glory of God and clothed in flesh, hidden in flesh, hidden in frail humanity, for a second they got a peek of who he really was. So number one, who you're with, and number two, who you really are, that's what transformation is in the kingdom of God. Heard a beautiful illustration of this yesterday. Marcus was talking to my dad about, and by the way, if you've seen the kind of work that he's done on this preschool, it's, it's unbelievable. And Marcus was talking to my dad, because my dad's a carpenter, and, and Marcus, I heard Marcus say this. He says, 
He says, here's the man I credit for helping me discover my inner carpenter. And immediately I thought of this because it didn't work for me. I spent a whole childhood with this guy who's a genius builder. My dad built two churches while he was doing all those other things I already told you about. And I still have trouble do doing a screw, right? So there's two things. It's who you're with, but it's also who you are. They both have to come together. And that's what was happening here. So, so what happened is Marcus discovered a part of him, an amazing part of him, just a remarkable innovation with building. But it had to do with who he was with that connected. And so it's like Jesus is with the Father. He's with the Father. He's praying. And all of a sudden, there's just something on that high mountain that just tapped into his real identity. And the disciples witnessed this, and they saw it. And it says his face became as bright as the sun, implying that he probably was difficult to look at. And then, um, so this... This word, here, here's what's really important for us in our discipleship today, is number one, it appears in two other places in the New Testament, and who does it apply to, this word transfiguration? It appears two other places in the New Testament. Peter and James. Here's one. I, now, I don't usually leave the footnotes in, but I did for a reason today. Here's the first one. And we all with unveiled... Let's read it together. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now that word contemplate there has a double footnote and the reason is... Uh, double reference. And the reason is... is you, if most of your Bibles, when you look at that, you will see an alternate translation, and the translators can't figure out what to translate it. So some trans, some of you have Bibles that where it will say, "We all with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory." Others say, "We behold the Lord's glory." So a long time ago, I decided it's both. A long time ago, I decided that as we contemplate the Lord's glory, as we we pay attention to him and we listen to him. And I asked Sophia to pray over the service today. It was, I thought it was very prophetic. She, it was a very short prayer. She just said, Lord, may we not just talk about you, but may we hear you. May we, huh? may we feel you. So there's this engagement with God that it's not just about God, it's to God. And it's, it's one of the, I mean, I think it's the church, but it's a real genetic DNA for the vineyard. It's not about talking about God. It's about talking with God and communion with God. So that's the rendering there that, that uh, the, uh, Paul gives. And then he says, and we are transformed. But the, the rendering of the Greek there is M slash P. What does that mean, Drew? <laughs> Middle passive. So it's a little bit of both. So it's the Eastern Orthodox called this synergy. You know what synergy is? It's not, you know, because the, the Western church argued about God's sovereignty versus man's responsibility, and we're still fighting over it. But this, the, the Eastern Orthodox had an understanding of synergy that 
Instead of trying to figure out what God does and what we do, it's both. It's, it's, it's a covenantal thing. It's, I, I, you, I am your God and you are my people. And there's, a, there's an engagement together. So, and, and this comes out again in Romans 12 too. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. I don't know how many times I've read that and thought, well, this is something I need to get out and do. But again, the voice is middle, is, is middle slash passive. So it's like, again, allow something to happen to me as I'm with someone and they show me who I am. Jesus said, whoever will seek to save their life will lose it. But if you lose yourself for my sake, I'll show you who you are and whose you are. Who you are and whose you are. So then Moses and Elijah show, show up and many people believe, and we don't have time to kind of go over this today, that they represented the law and the prophets. And, and so there was this significant discussion and Matthew doesn't bring this out, but in the book of Mark, and I think Luke, it says that they were discussing his exodus. The, the Greek word is exodus there, which is interesting. You know, again, the, the backdrop of Moses on the mountain. Now they're talking about Jesus' exodus on the mountain. And how is he going to fulfill his exodus? By going to Jerusalem, dying on the cross, rising again. That was his exodus that he was going to accomplish for us, the people of God. So Peter says, Lord, it's good that we're here. This is, and the, the, the Greek is, he is beautiful. This is amazing. I don't want to lose this moment. Well, you can't hold on to it, Peter, but you can bring it with you. So he says, Lord, it's good for us to be here if you wish. I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And I love, I love, he may have been thinking of the Feast of Tabernacles because it's kind of the similar word, the, the Feast of Booths. Now, be humble. I won't offer to make one for me or the other guys, but you and Moses and Elijah, this is great. This is great. I mean, I think emotionally, imagine what he must have been feeling. At that moment, to see God's glory. This is what I think he was feeling. I could be wrong. But I think he was feeling like, you know what? It's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. It's going to be well. And so I don't want to lose this. You ever felt that? Where you've been through trials and tribulations and you have this breakthrough like we sang about today. Where your presence breaks through and we go, I don't want to lose this moment. I, this is, I don't want to lose this because I've lived so much in fear and anxiety and an insecurity. I'm sure Peter was feeling some of that, don't you? And he said, I don't want to lose this. So let's build a tabernacle. I love Mark. Mark says, Peter, not knowing what to say, went ahead and said it anyway. I love that. How many here can identify with Peter? I love Peter. I'm so glad he was in the gospel because he shows me that somebody can get it so wrong and Jesus still loves and believes in him and keeps him in the, in the plan. You don't, you know, not one strike and you're out. Oh, F. Sorry, back of the clan. There isn't any of that. He just keeps going. So Jesus brought him. He brought him up on the mountain. 
So my dad loves to say, Peter's the only guy in the Bible that was interrupted by the all three members of the Trinity <laughs> at different times in his life, right? <laughs> While he was speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a cloud and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Does that ring a bell? Where did we hear that before? <laughs> baptism. And what was baptism as far as this church here? Hmm? What did it launch? Epiphany, the season we're just ending. Isn't that interesting? That they're ending Epiphany with the same words of the Father, but they add three words here. What is it? Listen to Him. Let's all say it together. Listen to Him. Peter and John and James, this is so important for you. There's a lot of voices out there that sound a lot like God. They may be godly people, they may be writers, they may be authors, they may be musicians, and they're all good, but they're not the light. They're a reflection of the light. There is only one light. Listen to my son, listen to him. So mom and dad, come on up here again. I, I'm really putting them on the spot today. So I asked them to share just briefly examples in their life where they were under pressure to listen to other voices and they had to listen to the voice of Jesus, to listen to him, the beloved son. Do you need a chair, mom? Okay? Okay. Depends how long-winded your husband is. Yeah. Wouldn't be the first time. That's right. No. So, Dad, why don't you start by sharing just, a, just an experience through, through the many, many years of long obedience in the same direction where what you felt the voice of Jesus was saying to you conflicted with people that may have been in the stature of Moses and Elijah in your own mind and heart, where you had to go with the voice of God. Is there anything that comes to mind? Well, it's an interesting journey, and... Uh... I thank the Lord for where he took us. Uh, we were in a place called Vulcan. What do you call it? Star Trek Captain. Yeah, okay. And uh, we started that, incidentally. We didn't quite get to the moon, but we started. And uh, <clears throat> we'd been there six years, and uh, we felt that we were through there. And so we were wondering where we go now. And uh, the superintendent of the assembly said, well, we need somebody here, we need somebody here. And there's about six or eight places that needed a pastor. And he, he felt that uh, the time to start another church in another city, town I guess it was, uh, when there was so much need for pastors in this place wasn't the right time to start one there. But we were praying about a move, and I'd mention a place, and she'd say, no, that's not where I want to go. I don't want to go there. And she'd mention a place, and I'd say, I don't want to go there. And then we came up with High Prairie. And we said, yeah, that would be a good place to go. We felt good about it. You see, it's the recognition that there's something more than just a head knowledge of circumstances and events that predict your next step. There was something about 
sensing that this was right and sensing it from something more than just what people told you. And of course, we went to do that and and the rest is all that. Kath, Kathleen, that, that's Gordy's wife, in case you wonder. She, um, she found us there. Uh, no, she found him there. <laughs> With your help. It's a range marriage. <laughs> and I remember getting a call from the superintendent saying, I'm coming out to see you. You know, it's a drive of about two hours. And he says, I, I want to talk to you about where you should go. And I says, well, if you're coming out to change my mind, I said, don't bother. <laughs> when you tell the superintendent that. And when we got to uh, High Prairie, it was a question of whether this was the right place because there were other ministries that were competing with us. God broke them all down, and we became the main church of that region. It was a, it was a miracle of God. Obedience is what it's all about, even when you can't see what it's like at the end. How about you, Mom? He said it all. <laughs> Is there anything else that comes to mind for you specifically? Okay. Good. Thank you. <laughs> I remember our our direction into Folair and that direction. You know, I I would pray by in my spirit I would look over an area of and pray over it. And every area I went to was black, black, black. And then I prayed toward the west, which is where Folaire was, and a bright light broke out in me, something like on the mountain, you know, bright light, like the garage burning next door. It was a bright light. And I said, well, that's, a, that's not of God because they're all Catholic and they're all French. <laughs> and the next week I met a school teacher who had just come into the renewal, and he was Catholic. And he was the catalyst that ushered us into what happened up there. And I think that was what God preordained for your, for your benefit, if nothing else. Amen. Thank you. Certainly my benefit. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to mention that. <laughs> yeah, Flair. Yeah. Yeah, Northern Alberta is interesting because you have these, uh, it's very English like most of Western Canada, but there, you have these communities that are just totally pockets of totally French. Um, and we have some of those, of course, here. But uh, yeah, very Catholic. In, so for Dad to follow that vision and to obey God uh, in those days was very, very uh, courageous, very he really had to believe that he was hearing the voice of the Lord. Well, just get you on the mic so we can hear you on the podcast. That's, I know you, you're like me. You have the voice. You don't need a mic. But <clears throat> yeah. I was the assistant superintendent of schools in addition to all this. And um, one of my duties was to go up and visit teachers. And uh, this school that I went to, I had to visit a new teacher. And she was Catholic. And, and not only that, she was French. And the only time she taught English was when she taught English. The rest was all in French. Huh. And one day, this, the principal said straight to my face, he said, a, a, uh, 
non-Catholic, non-French superintendent should never be allowed to visit a Catholic teacher. He told me right to my face. And so I thought, okay, I still have to do it. It's my job. And after this renewal broke out, that teacher was there and so many others were there. And of all the schools that cried to see me leave and go to Calgary, that one gave us the mess, best uh, departure. That nun threw her eyes or arms around me and hugged me. <laughs> Sister Aquina, yeah. right? I remember her. Wow. So this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Can I give you one practical devotional way I do that? Because there's all these voices, right? So many years ago, and I just, I commend this to you. You don't have to do it. You might find other ways. But every day in my devotional reading, I read a psalm. I read a part of the Bible, either the Old Testament or New Testament. I just read through the, through the scriptures from the old to the new and then start all over again. But every day I combine it with uh, a time of Lectio Divina in the Gospels. And that just simply means I take a story of the Gospel. Just a, we call it a pericope. It's just a, a self-contained story of the gospel. And I just spend time with that. And I just say, Lord, I've heard your voice through these other parts of scripture. But God, who at sundry times in diverse ways in the past has spoken through the prophets and angels and whatever, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Listen to him. Listen to him. So that's one practical way I, I commend to you. You don't have to do it that way, but that's an example of making sure that Jesus is the center of our discipleship. Not Paul, not the prophets. They're, they all reflect Jesus. They're important. And Jesus revealed them. He said, I fulfill the law and the prophets. But we get in trouble when we get more focused on the reflection than on the light. So when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. And here's what I hear the Lord saying. When it says, listen to him, I feel that Jesus is actually speaking to us this morning. And he wants to say this to us. He wants to leave us with this. They fell down, terrified. Verse 7, but Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. There is something about fear that paralyzes you. There's something about fear that you can't get out of bed in the morning. There's something about fear that gets you to stop going towards your dream or, or something, an act of obedience, moving on with your life, engaging. Fear stops you. Fear keeps that real you suppressed. And I hear Jesus saying this over us today. VEV, each one of you. He's coming and he's touching us. He's touching us. Get up. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus.
As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone that you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from... Oh, raised... Okay, we're witnesses. He said it. Raised from the dead. All right? So I don't know how in the world they kept it a secret. Peter must have had a sore mouth chewing his tongue to not say anything. But finally, after Jesus rose from the dead in one of his letters, he says this. I was, when he's an old man, he's still going, I was an eyewitness. I was an eyewitness of his glory. We heard that, his, this is 2 Peter chapter 1. We heard that voice when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We heard him say, this is my beloved son. I mean, I think those words were still ringing in his ears decades later. Just like my dad, the, the, you know, the experiences he's encountering. It, it was decades ago, but it's like, still now. You're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So to conclude, transformation of our world occurs when we as disciples of Jesus are transformed from the inside out through a life of contemplation, listening to Jesus first and foremost, and entering more deeply and authentically into community. So it's not individualism, it's individuality within community. Unity and diversity. And together, engaging meaningfully in the pain and suffering of this world in mission. If it just stays on the mountain, then we begin, it, it goes to seed. It's not discipleship. If it just gets engaged in the world with its suffering and we lose the contemplation, we'll burn out. We won't be able to sustain the pain, the need, the fentanyl crisis. It'll kill us. And you're not going to be any good to anybody if you're burned out and dead and killed. You've got to have a life that sustains the life, the life that God's called through you. He's, you've got to have that in you. And we need each other. We're called to community. We're called to be the people of God together. Let's pray. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Thank you for these beautiful stories and testimonies we've heard today. and That Lord, you're still doing this. You're still transforming. You're, and you are changing our world. You're transforming from the inside out through the power of the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ. His life, his teaching, his death, his resurrection. His resurrection life given to us now by the Spirit. Paul cried out, I pray that your eyes would be open to know the overwhelming greatness of his power that's in you. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Lord, would you just come to us? I pray, Lord, for those who are here this morning struggling with fear, struggling with despair, struggling with anxiety, that metaphorically they just can't even get out of bed. They just can't even get up. They're just laying prostrate, overwhelmed. They've blown it. They've missed it. Maybe like Peter, oh, no, I did it again. Is there any hope for me? And then to feel the touch of your hand, your nail-scarred hand on her shoulder. It's your sheep. You're my sheep. I'm your shepherd. Don't be afraid. It's okay. Get up. Get up. Get up. You got miles to go before you sleep. It's going to be okay.
You know what you felt on the mountain? It's still there. It's going to be okay. It will be well. It will be well. Because I'm risen from the dead. Just let him come. Just let him come. Come, Holy Spirit. Just have a few moments before we need to get our kids, but just, just wait. Just take that opportunity to just... It's going to be okay, Belinda. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be well. It's saying, get up. It's going to be okay. Don't be afraid. Some of you still walking through some grief, lost loved ones this year. He's touching you. Finish your race. Finish your walk. Long obedience in the same direction. As you're with him, you're transformed from the inside out. I've been reading to my grandkids a little story by Max Licato about Herbie, I think. He's a caterpillar, and he's really upset because he's so ordinary. So ordinary. And all his buddies are trying to tell him, God loves you, Herbie, just like you are. He loves you just like you are. And isn't that where we get the word metamorphosis from? Is from the caterpillar turning into a butterfly. Jesus. Amen. Why don't we stand together? If the Lord is, is just speaking to you, working in you, and you'd like more prayer, I encourage you to do that, to get more prayer. That's one way that we allow ourselves to be transformed is, is the way Jesus did. As He came into the... As He practiced prayer... <laughs> you know, don't get into the thing of, oh, I prayed these many hours, so this much more will happen. That's a, that's a, that'll kill you. Don't do that. Just be a person of prayer. Let your whole life be prayer. That's contemplation. So sometimes for me, it's praying intensely in tongues as I walk down Burrard View and through the neighborhoods, crying out to God for the brokenness in our city, and that intercession comes. But a lot of times it's just shutting up and being quiet and listening. And, 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 and prayer is more about seeing, seeing the Father at work. Jesus said, I do what I see the Father doing. That's middle voice, passive, middle passive, is I see the Father doing it and I do it with Him. That's middle passive. It's not me being the initiator. It's not me, me making it happen but it's being attentive to what God is doing and doing it with him. Isn't that more restful? Yep. Isn't that a little more sustaining? Mm -hmm. Long obedience in the, in the same direction. My longing desire for each of you is that you finish well. So hear the Lord's invitation just to, to a sustained life of contemplation, of prayer, being prayer. So I bless you this week to be the people of God, to be a community of prayer, 
of worship, of celebration, of travail and intercession. And as we go into this season of Lent, that the Lord would empower you to grieve, not in some self-righteous religious way, but in entering into his heart and feeling what he feels as you see what he sees. But knowing that the seeds of the gospel have been planted in your heart and lives. And he is changing our world from the inside out. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.